Welcome to Snack Break. We speak to experts mostly about policy, but also about snacks. Read any newspaper, watch any TV show, and the world looks like a rough place that's only getting worse. Gun-related deaths in the United States are rising. Climate change increasingly poses a threat. More and more jobs are lost to automation, racial tensions are at a fever pitch, and authoritarianism is on the march across the globe. And the internet doesn't seem to be helping any of this. But are these short-term statistics misleading? And is life today actually better than it was 100, 200, 500 years ago? Here today to discuss a more optimistic view of the present is Steven Pinker, the Johnstone Family Professor of Psychology at Harvard University. He just wrote a book called Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. Steve, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Now, can I, uh, I'm going to hit you with a little statistic, okay. a couple statistics. Now, 700 million people live in extreme poverty, and two plus billion are under the uh, oppression of autocratic uh, governments. Um, a sixth of the world is illiterate. Uh, what possibly can we celebrate? Oh, the fact that those numbers used to be much, much worse. Uh, illiteracy. They were higher. Uh, much higher, that's right. The, uh, the rate of extreme poverty in particular has gone down by about three quarters just in uh, 30 years. Uh, this is, uh, many economists say this is one of the greatest achievements of the human species ever. And virtually no one knows about it. Likewise, literacy, 90% uh, of the world's population under the age of 25 can read, read and write. For most of human history, it was more like uh, 10 to 15%. Uh, in fact, most of human history, it was zero because we're a naturally illiterate species. But even after uh, print was widespread, the typical literacy rate even in Europe was 15% uh, until uh, the uh, 18th century. Universal literacy wasn't achieved uh, until the 20th century in uh, the West. Worldwide, the literacy rate was about 10 or 15% uh, for most of uh, modern history, and then it began to shoot up a number of decades uh, ago. What about danger? What about, what about murder rates and things like that? Other and murder rates, especially in the United States, are, the murder rate has been cut by more than half. Where since it, when? Since uh, it, the Great American Climb Decline began in 1992 after uh, almost three decades of sky-high crime rates, which were reflected in popular culture. There are a lot of TV shows and movies about how you couldn't walk in Central Park without taking your life into your hands. People had these steel bars to prop their doors closed so there wouldn't be a home invasion. There were uh, TV programs like Hill Street Blues and movies like Bonfire of the Vanities that were all about the backdrop of urban crime. Then it, it plunged, tw a 75% decline in, in uh, New York, which used to be considered uh, a, uh, a combat zone. In fact, Boston had an area called the combat zone. <laughs> I live in it now. Uh, and, uh, Where is that? That is downtown. Oh, really? It's where, where, where the, the department stores are. And it was the just theaters. that dangerous. It was called the combat zone because it was dangerous, yeah. Um, uh, and that's, that's gone way down. As have uh, worldwide, the rates of homicide have come down just in the last 20 years. And the rate of death in war has come way down. Uh, it was about 20, uh, 22 per 100,000 per year in the uh, early 1950s. Then it went down to about nine during the era of the Vietnam War, around five in the 1980s. And now it's uh, down about one, one per 100,000 per year. Those feel like things to celebrate. Um, and uh, typically, I like to introduce our snack at the end of the show, <laughs> but given that um, those are things we should celebrate, oh, and given we'll, that your favorite snack is beer and warm nuts, uh, I think we should think we should break it we'll, out. We'll drink to that. We'll <laughs> drink to that human progress. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Drink to progress, Mike. Thank you so much. All right. So we've got um, two things here. Three things. We've got. Beer, Sam Adams, Boston Lager. This is your choice. Yes, um, um, a, a, a little bit of ambivalence. Okay. I mean, been, so, 
Um, it's originally a local beer. Yes. Boston Lager, Samuel Adams, a New England patriot. Uh, it was the first uh, little craft beer, first micro beer, brewery yeah. beer in the mid-1980s. I immediately developed a taste for it. Yeah. Uh, I like it, and it's... Uh, it's local. A little bit of ambivalence because just two weeks ago, the founder of the brewery, Jim Cook, uh, praised Donald Trump and his tax cuts. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, this, this <laughs> had, I posed a moral dilemma for me. <laughs> this and is I, to the product then, not the not the company. <laughs> the, right, yes. The, the, uh, well, I decided two things. One is I really like the beer. Yeah. Uh, and number two is I don't think the world cares what brand of beer Stephen Pinker drinks. <laughs> so I'm going to drink it in good conscience. Okay, well, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thank um, you. So and, to uh, human progress. To human progress. Um, now on the on the on the warm nuts side. Ah yes. We have Whole Foods warm nuts, mm. um, and we have Arab's homemade home uh, roasted nuts oh. and seasoned. These mm -hmm. are just almonds and cashews. Those are, I believe, almonds, cashews, Brazil nuts, and macadamia. Um, so you may. Oh, well, Pick I go yeah. the home season. Uh, yes, when you're occasionally, every once in a while, a host will um, in, pay for me to fly uh, business class or yeah. first class. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not really not worth the money, except the, the the one great luxury is they will often serve you a little ramekin of hot nuts. Yeah. But those are the most expensive hot nuts <laughs> that anyone will ever consume. You can't ever find them anywhere else. Those are the, yeah. those are the only places the you can find them. Well, it, it feels that way, but no. it's a, um, anyway, a, a, little, a little luxury that um, you can replicate at home with a little can of planters and a toaster oven. Can I, uh, can I blow your mind real quick? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a picture of a cashew? I don't think I have. Okay. Um, I mean, in its natural state. Yeah, check that out. My goodness. As a cashew. The green, the green part is what we eat? I believe so. Hmm. Is that nuts? That's, that, that, ah. that's, that's <laughs> nuts. Yeah, that is nuts. Um, yeah, so I, I see that. So the, you, yeah, I mean, anything to kind of remind you of a of a more luxurious time, I can get behind. Yeah, I mean they're expensive nuts, but it's uh, but I, I enjoy it when, when I can. All right, let's uh, let's continue to drink and eat, but let's move on to the book, Enlightenment Now: The Case for Reason, Science, uh, Humanism, and Progress. Now, uh, Bill Gates has called this his new uh, favorite book. Um, how much did you have to pay him to say that? <laughs> he didn't get rich I, I on could, his own. I couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> If I had to ask, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, walk, walk me, walk me. And he, he's a big fan. He's um, he says, you know, he he a lot of the things you said earlier. He not only believes them, but also has been part of the process to encourage those uh, encourage those uh, statistics. What is the main argument of the book? Uh, the main argument is that there is a coherent system of beliefs and values that is an alternative to nationalism and tribalism and religious fundamentalism and reactionary thinking and, uh, and uh, uh, Marxism that has faded into the background. So most people have forgotten what it is. It goes by a number of names, sometimes called the open society, cosmopolitanism, secular humanism, uh, liberalism, classical liberalism. Um, I identify it with the values of the Enlightenment, which I then identify in the subtitle as uh, reason, science, humanism, and progress. And uh, the idea is that if we use reason and science uh, toward the goal of making human beings better off, we can gradually succeed. And that this is a uh, noble moral purpose. Yeah. And it succeed, is no, but what do you mean by succeed? Uh, that is make people better off. Better that is off. give people longer lives, uh, healthier lives, more education, Prosperity. greater happiness, 
greater pros prosperity, greater opportunities to enjoy nature, culture, and uh, family and friends, greater freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's the, the, the goods in life are really not all that controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there are other possible goods, salvation, mm -hmm. uh, honor, mm -hmm. um, uh, heroic greatness, but uh, regardless of what you think about those you know, transcendent values, uh, health, happiness, education, culture, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. And uh, the world agrees on them. You, we have them enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, in the UN Sustainable Development Goals. This is a, uh, a worthy purpose. I personally don't think that we need uh, extra stuff like salvation in, in an afterlife. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's not a romantic vision. It is uh, attainable. And yeah. we have made progress at uh, reducing violence and illiteracy yeah. and oppression uh, and, um, uh, and, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we should identify what it is that has uh, succeeded and do more of it. So, so the, the book is a it's 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 a description and and it's an explanation. It's a description of hey, the world is not as bad as we think, or it's not it ha it's not it's not going in as bad of a direction as people think. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, s s there are still problems we have to deal with. Um, and second is that uh, these are the reasons why uh, there's this thing called reason. There's this there's this thing called humanism uh, and technology and education. And these come together. Uh, and mix, um, and as humans also interact more, there is a, they have a growing sense of empathy, and, and that is what uh, has produced what, this progress, which I call progress, is that? Is that uh, yes, exactly right. Do, does it feel ironic at all to say, to have to use reason to defend reason? Yes, well there is, um, the, uh, the fact that you use reason to defend anything is itself a defense of reason. That is, it almost doesn't need a defense if you think clearly. Is as soon as you try to argue for any alternative to reason, you've lost the argument yeah. because you're using reason. You're saying, I'm not full of crap. You should believe me. There are good reasons to believe me. As soon as you start playing that game, you have acknowledged yeah. that reason is the way in which we should uh, come to an understanding of the world. But, but reason also doesn't le lead to one solution, right? So people have different definitions of happiness. People have different definitions of prosperity, um, you know, um, ownership over their lives, et cetera. Is, is, it, is it true that, that reason will lead them in a single direction? I mean, it, it feels like it can be more complicated and these can interfere and conflict with each other and what we might think of as a better life for somebody may not quite be what that person thinks. Uh, it, it is true that reason by itself doesn't tell you what you should reason toward. Mm -hmm. uh, it, <clears throat> it's a way of going from true premises to true conclusions, but in terms of attaining goals, uh, the goals have to come from some, someplace yeah. else. That's where the humanism comes in. Uh, and, and it is true that there, there, there can be some disagreement as to what we should strive mm -hmm. for, particularly if it's um, bringing the kingdom of God to earth and obeying his commandments or achieving national uh, greatness mm -hmm. or feats of, of, um, of nobility. Uh, on the other hand, it's surprising how much consensus there is that um, life is better than death and freedom is better than coercion and abundance is better than want and health is better than sickness and knowledge is better than ignorance. Just as a practical matter, when the world has to get, come together and agree on um, anything, the result is not the empty set. The result is actually quite a long list of human goods. Uh, that's the basis of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, and uh, I think it's not a coincidence because these, these goods, while they're not logically justified by 
reason, it's kind of a, it's not a big leap. Mm -hmm. That is, the idea that it's better to be alive than dead. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're dead, you can't, can't even really be arguing for anything. So the very fact that, you, that, you're, that we're here arguing uh, implies that, uh, that life is, uh, is good. It's a prerequisite to everything else. Uh, once you say that life is uh, a, a good, then you have to say that health is good because you can't be alive if you're, uh, if you're, if you're deathly ill. Uh, it also means, given that we're physical creatures, that sustenance is important because uh, all complex entities require energy to resist the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, things falling apart. Uh, it puts a value on knowledge because we can't have an intelligent discussion unless we uh, know something about the world that we're uh, arguing about. And so on. a lot of things follow just from the, the requirement that we're here debating anything in the first place. Yeah. Um, now, this this book really is a is a sequel to an earlier book that you you, you wrote, uh, which is called "The Better Angels of Our Nature: uh, Why Violence Has Declined," uh, which you know you go through um, so much in this book, uh, many of the same sort of ideas and graphs uh, you use that you you explain in in this in the second book, which is uh, which is uh, you get into more of the philosophical underpinnings of why this is this is the case, why we're living in this in this better world. Uh, now, but this book was, uh, including index, 802 pages, and your new one um, is only 556. <laughs> Why did you write such a short book? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was uh, partly because the uh, Enlightenment now could build on the better angels of our nature. The better angels of our nature was long not only because it covered both uh, history and psychology, including neuroscience, so it tried to first document the fact that violence has declined over the course of history uh, and tried to explain it. Now, in saying that violence has declined, it, I, uh, that does not mean that there has been some linear or monotonic or steady decline in all forms of violence. I mean, that would be kind of mystical or yeah. miraculous. Different kinds of violence declined at different rates in different periods for different causes. The, the decline in interpersonal violence, homicide, and uh, assault. Uh, it was a phenomenon that began in the Middle Ages in England, the decline of war much later. Uh, war didn't really start to decline and still And after. this is interstate war. This is not, this is not the same as civil, civil war. war right? That's Which, right. And they, and they, those two are on different timelines. Yeah. Uh, interstate war has declined much more drastically than civil war. There are basically no interstate wars going on right now. Uh, if by, between by major powers. Between any two... Uh, War in the sense of uh, old-fashioned idea of two uniformed yeah. armies facing right. each other on the battlefield, each one from a, a nation state, sure. um, that, that is, is, is obsolescent. There's still civil wars, and the worst civil wars do have in external intervention, Syria being a uh, prototype. There's also uh, South, Sudan, South Sudan. Uh, there are some, I guess that was, that also came from a single, war. yeah, it's sort yeah, of, it's, I mean, now they're technically two, but... Ten years ago, they weren't two different countries. True. Uh, um, although, and even then, it was—it's uh, classified as a, as a civil war with external intervention. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but anyway, wars of deaths in war from all kinds have declined, even though, even with the worst war in a generation, namely the Sir Syrian civil war. Um, but and that was a later decline than the say the decline of um, of uh, homicide. And in between, there was the abolition of forms of institutionalized violence, like slavery, like capital punishment, yeah. like uh, cruel uh, f forms of uh, torture execution, mm -hmm. like such as burning at the stake yeah. or disemboweling. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there were different timelines. I had to document each one in the teeth of incredulity mm -hmm. that each one happened. Yeah. Uh, 
which I tried to establish with the use of, of uh, quantitative databases. And then I had to explain it. And the explanation had to appeal to human neuroscience, that is, what circuits in the brain make us violent and what circuits in the brain make us uh, refrain from violence. Which is your, which is your expertise, Which is how training, I came from right? in the You're first place. You're a psychologist, place, yeah. right? But then also you had to bring the, the explanation couldn't possibly just come from psychology and neuroscience because that would, since our uh, biology hasn't changed over the decades and centuries, if it was just an explanation in terms of uh, how, how the, uh, the brain worked, you'd expect rates of violence to be constant. So you had to bring the history together with the cognitive science and neuroscience to try to explain what aspects of the environment, what, what social norms, what laws, what constraints engaged in different proportions right. the different parts of the brain. Anyway, that adds up to a long book. You know, the, the thesis of better angels of our nature are that we have inner demons and better angels, right? Exactly. And so we have, a, I mean, you also wrote a book called Blank Slate. You've written many, many books. Um, uh, but it's this idea that, uh, that human nature is consistent. We have bad things and good things, and there are institutions and environmental causes that um, can push us in one direction or another. Exactly. Yeah. And these institutions over time have been strengthened, and so these norms have changed around, I mean, if we can, we call norms institutions, it's a sort of institution. Um, and those change over time such that they uh, are able to, uh, um, not necessarily, that, again, not change human nature, but that they're able to prevent some of those uh, inner demons. Yeah, they engage different up. parts of human That's nature. Right. Exactly. And That's why I love the title, which I stole from Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln The right. Better Angels of Our Nature, a poetic way mm -hmm. of uh, implying that human nature is complex, mm -hmm. that has multiple voices, multiple systems, and that uh, some of them are, uh, are, are better than others. Yeah, yeah. There, and and there, there are a couple things about that that I feel like are, are you know, p people, they, they, you know, you're, you're known as, a, as an optimist. Um, however, I think there's a, there's a pessimism here as well built in that, that precisely that these institutions are required. It means means something uh, has has depth uh, to how you think things would be otherwise. Completely right, and that is, uh, uh, in fact, I, I don't think I am by uh, intellectual temperament mm -hmm. uh, an optimist. The blank slate was seen as a, a, a at least a tragic yeah. uh, vision, if not a pessimistic vision, namely that uh, since the mind is not a blank slate, social programmers can't simply uh, design an environment that makes us noble and good and wise mm -hmm. because we are. Uh, we have inherited from the processes of evolution some rather nasty and, and uh, self-defeating uh, traits. But it was um, uh, a comment that I made in The Better Angels to stave off the most fatalistic, most pessimistic interpretation of human nature. Namely, we're just doomed to conflict forever. And if you want to work for peace or nonviolence, then you're a starry-eyed uh, dreamer. Yeah. I mean, it's good for John and Yoko and <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary, but it'll never work in the world. And even in the blank slate, I noted, well, that, that's a non sequitur because human nature is complex. Yeah. If we're not blank slates, uh, that means there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And uh, while some impulses make us violent, like the thirst for revenge, the desire for dominance, the uh, ability to um, shut off our empathy and exploit people uh, in, in clear conscience. But then there are other parts of human nature that uh, that uh, constrain those impulses, yeah. like empathy, like self-control, like reason, like uh, like norms. Uh, I noted in the, in back in the blank slate that there we know from history that humans are not doomed to a constant level of violence because we have examples of, of violence declining that I sort of right. tossed out then, such as the abolition of slavery, the collapse of the Soviet empire, the, uh, uh, I mentioned the, dec the decline of, violent, of uh, homicide in England since the Middle Ages. And then it was when I repeated those observations in a blog post 
that I got correspondence from political scientists and uh, criminologists and sociologists and historians saying, you know, you could, have, uh, you could have added many more examples of violence declining over the course of history. That was a, a revelation because um, these came from scattered diverse areas of scholarship that they didn't, they didn't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Their results are not widely known among educated people in general. Uh, they paint a picture that is very different from the one that you get from the news, which of course concentrates on all the violence that remains. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cover the violence that, that doesn't occur, that would have occurred if yeah. life was the way it was uh, several decades or centuries ago. And I realized this is a story that needs to be told, yeah. both in terms of sharing this pattern that I was fortunate enough to come across, yeah. uh, and as a psychologist, to try to explain it. Yeah. And then, after I wrote Better Angels of Our Nature, I had another round of epiphanies that it wasn't just violence where the human uh, condition had improved, but pretty much every other aspect of uh, human existence, mm -hmm. such as poverty, such as disease, such as mm -hmm. uh, illiteracy. Is there a possibility that, that these urges, that these inner demons are getting channeled to other things? I mean, it's sometimes it's, you know, in your book or reading your book, oh, you know, we're less tribal in some sense. And then I think, well, Steve, have you ever been to a Patriots game? Yes, right. Or a Red Sox game? Well, they, and, I mean, what are the... Have they been, are they being channeled somewhere else? I, I, it's not, I don't think they're channeled in the kind of Freudian sense that there's a hydraulic drive that if it is not... Um, released through some, ch some channels, it'll build up and, 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 and eventually burst. Mm. But I think there are sources of human um, gratification and pleasure and enjoyment. Tribalism indeed is one, and sports is a benign way of indulging that, uh, uh, that, that impulse. But you don't see it as getting it out of your system. That's not something that you I don't see buy it as getting, into that. No, that's right. That, that is, I don't think that uh, sports fans, for example, are more pacifistic. Than people who can't uh, can't release their their, their bellicose Im impulses toward uh, toward or, sports. Or it could be that there are certain people with bellicose instinct or impulses, and there are people with less bellicose instincts. And those who have bellicose instincts need to channel it somewhere. Uh, I think that that's probably closer to the truth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I do think that we that the benign cultural institutions speak to our our, our needs and can and can uh, allow us to indulge in them in uh, non-destructive ways. Sports being a great example. What, what about the collective? Uh, you know, individuals, um, you, you mentioned individual homicides and, and, and dueling and slavery and things are norms that no longer are acceptable uh, in pretty much the entire world, um, with some rare exceptions. But when people get together, um, there's a, there can be a mob mentality. Yeah. People can do really bad things. And, 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 and Nazism uh, was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, we're only 70, 80 years out. So, um, to, you know, is that something that, are we one more movement away from, from um, disrupting, you know, the average of life getting better? Um, are we, uh, is it, do we, is there an easy slide for, especially with collective and mob mentalities? Uh, there, there, is a, there is a slide, and uh, we don't know how easy it is. Of course, in the era of Trump, there is a, a kind of a school of, of uh, concern, fear, that we're, we're taking steps in that direction, and in some ways we are, toward tribalism, toward authoritarianism, toward an erosion of the uh, democratic checks and balances. Uh, so far we have not spiraled down into, into Nazism, yeah. and I think that, that, that it would be hyperbole to say that, that mm -hmm. we're, we're close. Uh, we're, there, there, there are moves in that direction that are disconcerting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to think that 
our uh, current norms and institutions are, uh, even though they're getting a stress test, mm -hmm. but they're strong enough to, to uh, resist them. Uh, I, I frankly doubt, and I don't think it's just an optimistic temperament, um, that, that the country's going to turn into Nazi Germany in the next right. uh, two years or, or even six years. But it, it is something that we have to be vigilant about. Um, I mean, but related to that, the idea of a nuclear attack or something, that a huge amount of loss of life. I mean, because this book is about um, uh, it's trends. It's about yeah. averages. Things on average, or in aggregate, I should say, are, are better today than they were 100 years ago. But precisely the events that are, that I mean, I should not homicides, but wars in particular, yeah. those are rare events that happen in huge numbers. So there's kind of spikes, so to speak. And I was wondering if, if we are, you know, one nuclear attack or one, you know, great power war with China or Russia away from uh, from totally disrupting that average. Yeah, it could happen, and in uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature, I have a pretty lengthy discussion of the statistics of wars, including the fact that wars <coughs> fall into a what's called a, a fat-tailed distribution mm -hmm. or a thick-tailed distribution, where the most catastrophic uh, events are unlikely, but they're not astronomically mm -hmm. unlikely. So yeah, we very much have to, have to uh, worry about them. Uh, it's not the case that the detonation of one nuclear weapon would lead to the end of the species or would inevitably escalate. Um, and uh, nonetheless, I do think that the risks are too high, that uh, like a number of people, not just, yeah. not just peaceniks, but even Cold War hawks like mm -hmm. Henry Kissinger and George Shultz, mm -hmm. uh, I think that we should aim toward the abolition of all nuclear weapons. Right. Uh, of course, this is an uh, idea that was famously articulated by Ronald Reagan, of all people. He was kind of ridiculed at the time. Uh, yeah, also Kissinger, I think, also, before he became on this train, advocated for nuclear, battlefield nuclear attacks, yeah, I think, and the tactical nukes. In I don't know if he ever explicitly advocated that, but he, um, but certainly yeah. it is true that the global zero is a, is a turn in his, his life. That's right. Um, and certainly when he was secretary. But you see that also as an explanatory bill, but really it's because you're go, you go back earlier than the 1940s. You say that this is, life has gotten better over on average for hundreds of years. So uh, you, although in different time scales for different, different aspects reasons. of so life. So you would incorporate yeah. nukes as part of your, um, as part of your explanation. Actually, no. That you mean the idea that uh, that Deterrence, nuclear weapons yeah. have kept the peace? Yes. I actually have a discussion of that in the Better Angels, um, summarized again in Enlightenment. Now, I, I am skeptical of that. Yeah. Uh, Why is that? Uh, one reason is that the conventional armies of the um, great powers are, were already so destructive that uh, neither side was eager for a replay of World War. To any yep. anytime soon. Uh, just you know, look at the destruction of yep. World War II, mm -hmm. uh, where nukes played a very yep. small role in it. Uh, the other is that uh, because nuclear weapons are so ridiculously destructive, um, they're certainly strategic nuclear weapons, um, they've almost entered, a, uh, formed a, a, a different realm of hypothetical possibilities mm -hmm. that uh, has not so much effect on wars as as they're carried out. There's uh, a concept of a nuclear taboo that uh, did not emerge suddenly, but uh, uh, pro probably time. after the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, where um, even the tactical nuclear weapons, mm -hmm. which whose destructive power is comparable to conventional weapons, no one wants, at least so far, let's hope it yeah. holds, no one goes there. There's been right. no, contrary to all predictions, no nuclear weapons used in war since uh, yeah. Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. So they've always been taken off the table as a factor mm -hmm. in, in wars. Even then, wars have uh, declined, right. including often wars between a nuclear and a non-nuclear power, like Britain and Argentina over the Falklands. Right. Uh, the, the, the generals in Argentina knew that Margaret Thatcher wasn't going to nuke Buenos Aires, and so they 
made the re reckless move of trying to uh, take over the Falklands. Um, so that was a case where nuclear weapons should have deterred war and, and, didn't. and didn't. So I think uh, we'll never know, but a reasonable conjecture is that the post-war period would have played out pretty much the same if nukes had never been invented. What, uh, what were some of the coolest or weirdest statistics that surprised yeah. you? I, I read one about an 88% decline in uh, the likelihood of getting mowed down on the sidewalk. That is right, Which, yes. I, who, that was surprised getting, me. who was getting mowed down on the sidewalk 100 oh. years ago? Oh, well, I mean, people, people still get killed on, uh, get uh, hit by cars. Uh, this is, this is uh, auto accidents. Auto accidents, oh yeah, they're still a major cause of death, but, but it used to be much worse. Um, oh yeah, people, uh, I know a, a, there's an eminent neuroscientist, Patricia Goldman-Rakic, who was um, killed as a pedestrian yeah. when a car uh, hit into her. My uh, grandfather's sister was uh, killed by a streetcar. So pedestrian deaths are not a trivial, they're far more pedestrian deaths than there are deaths from terrorism. Mm. Uh, and, but the number of pedestrian deaths has fallen by a factor yeah. of more than 90%. Number of people killed by bolt of lightning has by fallen by more than 95%. That how, surprised me. How do you explain that? Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of it is that uh, we're not farmers anymore, so we spend le much less time out in the fields. Yeah. Uh, but also our tractors are better insulated, our houses are better insulated. Climate change? Although that uh, might that no, might that would, that would be more the other direction. <laughs> so yeah. that, that actually so it's actually a even that, with it's climate even change. Yeah, it's yes, even it with could. climate change, it's not it's uh, there's that sort of and, a decline. But probably the most uh, I, I was surprised I was surprised that um, we have um, so much more leisure time than uh, people did 50 years ago because we all feel so crazy busy. Mm. Uh, although um, professionals uh, really are busier, but the average American or European uh, has much more leisure time now than they did in the 1960s. Uh, for women, it flattened out the the reduction in time spent at work, uh, or the, the amount of time gained in leisure. And the reason is that, here's a mind-blowing statistic, that uh, single working women today spend more hours with their children than married stay-at-home moms did in the 1950s. That is nuts. So forget Leave it to Beaver and Father <laughs> Knows Best. What were they doing in the 1950s? Oh, they were uh, going Socializing to uh, coffee clutches and playing mahjong and, uh, you know, they opened the door. I mean, my, this is the way I grew up. I didn't spend a huge number of hours having stories read to me by my, by my mother. She'd open the door. I'd kind of run out to, to play. Yeah. Then at 6 o'clock, she'd yell, Stephen! And uh, you'd come uh, back. I'd come back for dinner. <laughs> Uh, I see. That, those, those days are for, for better or worse, those days are right. And I'll give you one other yes. mind-blowing statistic. And this, this I knew about before write, writing uh, uh, either book, is that uh, we've, get, we've been getting smarter. There is a phenomenon called the Flynn effect, discovered by the IQ. The IQ. IQ. Okay. I, I, IQ scores have increased mm -hmm. by three points a decade throughout the 20th century. Uh, and uh, in every continent, um, in uh, almost a linear progression, uh, it's it's uh, tailing off. Things that can't go on forever don't. Yeah. And uh, the Flynn effect is ending in wealthy countries. You don't want everybody to be a genius. Well, I don't think that would be a terrible idea, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, the reasons are not completely clear, but they are, it's probably driven by the expansion of education and by the trickle-down of technical concepts, including abstract visual diagrams and, and symbols into mm. everyday life. Yeah, because, I mean, this is sort of gets to the nature and nurture argument, which I know you've talked a lot about and written a lot about, uh, uh, but there is uh, an element that um, nature will get you so far, and nurture can, and has happened, and has linearly, monotonically has been yeah. uh, increasing. Well, there, yes, and there, and of course I wanted to explain um, the 
uh, apparent discrepancy between the fact that intelligence is uh, largely heritable mm -hmm. and the fact that it's increased over time with the mm -hmm. Flynn effect. The two resolutions are that <clears throat> even though intelligence is highly heritable, yeah. it's nowhere near 100% heritable. Right. Um, and so yeah. even if it's say f half the variation mm -hmm. is genetic, well, half the variation isn't gen yeah. genetic. But also it turns out that if you do careful statistical analysis, the aspects of intelligence that have risen with the Flynn effect are not the aspects of intelligence that are most directly affected by the genes. Really? Which, which makes sense, yeah. yeah. So for example, uh, measures of, of raw brain power, mm -hmm. like how many digits can you hold in memory and then repeat backwards, uh, have not risen. That's right. But um, ability to do analogies, mm -hmm. like um, uh, uh, bird is to egg as tree is to seed, yeah. um, that has, uh, has risen significantly, mm -hmm. as has the ability to decode complex visual diagrams. Oh, interesting. Uh, do, do, is there anything that, I mean, given all these, you know, encouraging and, and, um, and positive statistics, what are the things that make you sad or worried or anxious or depressed about the world? Um, so climate change, um, authoritarian populism, the, 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 the rise of uh, nationalism and um, fascism light in, yeah. uh, in Hungary and Poland and, of course, to some extent, the United States. Yeah. Uh, the... the um, Improbable but catastrophic possibilities, such as um, nuclear uh, war, mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, I discuss each one of them in Enlightenment. Yeah. Now, I did, did not want to uh, uh, make it seem as if we have nothing to worry about. We yeah. do have things to worry about. But but it is generally still. I mean, the, the the mood of the book is that hey, things are not heading. Again, generally over history, are not heading in as bad of a direction as we think they are. Yes, uh, to the ex and to the extent that it doesn't happen by magic. There's no yeah. there's, there's no uh, arc of, of improvement. There's no dialectic. Yeah. Uh, it's it's human ingenuity being applied to make people better off. Yeah. It's it's doctors trying to cure disease. Yeah. It's uh, politicians trying to avoid war. Yeah. It's policy people trying to reduce crime. Yeah. Uh, and the the message is that if we. Uh, yeah apply our, our minds and our will to doing it, and if the goal is make people better yeah. off, we can eke out uh, increments that, that yeah. build on each other. We only have, we have a few minutes left, and so I wanted to just kind of quickly run through the, 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 the major other parts of this book, which are, which are it's not just say, look, life is, um, again, head, not heading in the, in the direction that everybody says it's heading, uh, or has been heading. Um, uh, you explain it. But there's also the reason, two other things. One is uh, why we don't recognize it, and, and second, what to do about to preserve that. Why, why aren't people recognizing this? Yeah, part of it is because the, the view of the world we get from journalism is... Um, the media. The media, yeah. although you know, I don't want to attack the mainstream yeah. media because obviously they're, they're much better than a lot of the alternatives, right. uh, and I don't think there's anything nefarious going on, but there is something about the inherent nature of journalism that, uh, th that is bound to mislead. Yeah. Journalism is about things that happen, not things that don't happen, and a lot of the good things in the world are things that don't happen, like wars, uh, like entire countries that don't have terrorist mm -hmm. attacks or don't have rampage shootings. Um, there is a, there is definitely a negativity bias in the news media that is. Um, that's because people. That's what people click on, right? I mean, isn't that? It's, it's partly it's, so. It's, what it's part of human nature, in, in, in the sense that that's what we want to kind of learn more about. We're risk averse. We. We're, yes, where we are, we are loss averse. Although most journalists would would say that they have a professional uh, uh, creed or, or, or ethic. That yeah. Even though they've got to pay the bills, it's not 
just about getting the most clicks and eyeballs, but they have a mission. But the problem is that often I don't think the mission is thought through carefully enough because the mission is equated with tearing down uh, uh, corruption and uh, malfeasance and, and showing how everything is rotten and um, decadent. Uh, and, and of course, some things are rotten and decadent, and they have to be exposed. There is injustice, there is suffering. But if that's all that gets reported, then people can get a systematically um, erroneous view of the world. And it can play into the hands of uh, radicals and demagogues who say, uh, you can't walk down the street without getting shot, and our institutions are failing. We've got to drain the swamp. We've got to burn the empire to the ground. Only I can uh, fix it. Um, so it actually, by saying that, that our institutions are unredeemable, yeah. uh, it plays into the hands of the worst kind of yeah, radicals. But, that, yeah. but, that, but that's the poll, right? I mean, because you could also say, by people just freaking out about everything all the time, they're also, because we're risk averse and we're overweighting risk, we might be more likely to find solutions and, and, and drive toward progress precisely because we're not rationally analyzing the problem. Uh, it, it's not clear that that, that that is the outcome. Now, obviously, we need information. We need yeah. accurate a picture of what's going wrong, of who's suffering, of uh, w what can be fixed. But if it's too relentlessly negative, then, then the, the result is not necessarily engagement. It could be the exact opposite. It could be fatalism. It's like, ah, the poor will always be with you. Uh, what, what difference does it make? Uh, the, uh, uh, everything that's been tried has failed. It's just yeah. getting worse. Our institutions are, are uh, any change would, is bound to be better than what, what we have now. Um, it could be complacency or, on the other hand, though. There could be complacency, um, indeed. So people have to know, and I think journalists are sensitive to the accusation that in earlier decades they were uh, complicit with power structures. Mm -hmm. They were kind of, they glorified uh, power. Uh, but they've gone so far to the other extreme that they've left people thinking that the institutions of liberal democracy and uh, science and international cooperation are, uh, are, are hopelessly moribund. And I think that leads to uh, withdrawal and fatalism. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why bother voting? There's no difference between you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, they, they both represent a, a corrupt system. Yeah. Um, uh, or or uh, just disengaging altogether, figuring uh, I may as well enjoy my, my, li my life and hope the experts are wrong. So what do you hope, what do you hope people I mean, I guess it's, it's not exactly a call to action, but if, yeah. if there was something you wanted somebody to take away to say, okay, I should think about things differently, what, what would be of, that one? A view of the world that's based more on data, uh, on, on trends, on, uh, on data sets that we calibrate, you know, how... how but data sets are subject, aren't they subjective too? Or can't they be manipulated? They depend on definitions and... Well, they can be, but not, uh, not infinitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you can lie with statistics, yes. but on the other hand, yes. you can, but you can recognize when people lie with statistics, and it's better than not having data and just making up stories. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, and there's no way that you can uh, uh, explain away the fact that there's been a, a crime decline. Analyze the, the, the murder statistics any way yeah. you want. It, just, it, it really goes down as long if you if you look at them at all. Uh, and uh, so it should be more fact-based, more database, more historically grounded. And by history, I don't even mean 200 years ago. I mean like 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, and um, and people should have. Uh, uh, respect for the institutions that have made, made it possible, that for all their flaws, liberal democracy is better than uh, anarchy, it's better than uh, totalitarianism, uh, that uh, the United Nations is better than a world of uh, zero-sum co competition, that uh, regulated markets are better than either totalitarian planned economies or complete uh, uh, anarcho-capitalism, that we've identified some things that work kind of 
okay. And okay is better than a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. and, and, better, and more to the point, that are getting better, that have the ability to improve themselves and to lead to human improvement. Well, I can cheers to human improvement for sure. We'll drink to Steve, that. Steve, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Doug. The book is called Enlightenment Now, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress. We had Dr. Steven Pinker, the Johnstone Family Professor of Psychology at Harvard University. Steve, thank you so much again for joining. Thanks so much, Luke. Thanks for having me. Great. This episode of Snack Break was produced with the help of the Media Production Center, Hauser Studio, Tara Cavanaugh, and Harris Passeltiner. Introduction music was composed by Evan Fennessy. To learn more about the show or watch episodes rather than listen to them, find us on YouTube or visit our website at snackbreakshow.com. 